0: Welcome back to Latitude, the travel photography podcast. I am Brian and as always with me is the great Brent Berger. How are you doing, Brent?
1: Ooh, I'm feeling great. Thank you. <laughs> Good to be here Ooh. again.
0: Ooh, you're feeling great. What's, yeah. what's all the excitement about?
1: You just called me great. So why not? Oh. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> all awesome. right. Thank you.
0: All right. Awesome. Well, today's uh, episode is going to kind of be a two part episode. In the first part here, um, Brent's going to be sharing a lot about some things that uh, he's been thinking about lately and working on. And then for the second half of the episode, uh, we're going to have a guest join us or join me. It's an interview that I have with a photographer who travels to Mexico a lot. So I am excited to just uh, share some of those stories and some of his tips and hear a little bit about him. So, but let's jump right in and let's get started. Uh, Brent, on here, you had one of the topics, your first topic you had is probably one of my favorite topics and that's camera bags. And I think it's one of my favorites because I love them and I have so many, but (laughs) I, I still haven't found I have certain bags that now I feel work well for different shoots and things I have, but I haven't found one bag that works for everything. Oh, so no. what what have you been thinking about these bags?
1: So a couple episodes ago, I made a, a quick mention that I'm looking for a backpack for when I'm traveling, mostly as I would call it, traveling independently. The main idea is I want to replace my, for when I'm traveling, I want to replace my Tenba DNA-13 and the only reason I want to replace it is because as I get a little older, I'm in my 40s. And so some people can say, that's not old and whatever else. And I, I understand that, but.
0: That is that is not old. Oh, okay. thank you. Yeah, right. I just want to say that.
1: Yeah, I hear you. But my back is telling me on occasion, I've my back and shoulder, it's just a backpack will work better for me. And I know it will. Uh, so I've been looking for a backpack that is a nice Swiss Army knife of backpacks. And I have yet to find it. So I went looking far and wide, trying to cast a wide net, even out of the the range of photography backpacks, because I need something that is small enough. I need something that's comfortable enough. I need something that holds everything I want it to hold. And so it just, you know, it, it's hard for me to exactly say, yeah, that's the right one when I'm only looking online. But I have been able to actually get into some stores and actually uh, try out some as well. And I made a few purchases, so we'll see how it goes as time goes on.
0: Very cool. So what are some bags that you've been looking at now?
1: So one thing is also most of these, uh, I think all of these, you're not going to be able to find at your camera store, like B&H and whatnot, the ones I'm going to be looking at here, uh, you can't find at your camera store. So that's kind of the idea I was going with. I want to get out of that. that, I don't want to call it a rut per se, but I want to get out of that idea. I looked at Wolfpack. That's Wolf with an E, Wolfpack Capture is the uh, the capture is the model of it. And that's kind of a neat bag in that it's nice and small enough. And it, it looks um, like it protects the gear well enough. It looks good. On the right-hand side of the, the shoulder strap, it has a little mechanism. It allows you to release the bag. And so that causes it to drop to about your knee level. And that allows you to grab it and swing it around your front. And you can either connect it to the front of the harness or you can just have easier access to grab your gear. You do whatever you want with it. And it looks, you know, the way that they're marketing it and everything, it looks really slick. I'm very intrigued. And I contacted the company. I'm just like, you know, this looks really cool, but I, I didn't buy it. They were offering like an ex- extended return policy for the um, for the holiday season. I was like, "Mm, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not sure I would like those cables wrapping around me when I have the bag released. And then of course you put it back behind you, you lift that thing and secure it on the lower part of the the right hand strap. And then it comes back up and the bag is secure on your back again. It looks very intriguing. It's just having not tried it, it's not something I can recommend. It's just something that I think is worth it for people to look at because maybe you're in a situation you're like, oh, that's perfect for me. And that might work. So I just figured I would mention it because it does look, it, it's very intriguing to me and I would love to try it out, but not, I don't want to try it out enough that I'm willing to shed, uh, dollars away from me to, to, uh, make that happen. So, um, mm-hmm. so that's, yeah, it looks good, but I, I didn't buy it. Um, uh, mm-hmm. the, and the that, next, that yeah. bag
0: looks like it's running, like I'm looking at it as well, running about $200, which isn't too bad. Right. For uh, for a good camera bag, right.
1: And that's I, I wanted to stay about two hundred dollars and, and maybe a little bit under. Um, I know F stop bags, uh, they're some really nice bags as well, but they tend to go once you buy the the internal unit and all that kind of thing that needs to happen. You're for for a standard bag, you're three hundred dollars or more, and that's a little out of the price range that I didn't want to go with. Um, also their harness, uh. I know we have we each have friends that uh, shoot those, and I'm sure they're fine. But I, the the bag I ended up settling on actually has a really good harness, so that's that's one of the pluses that I have about that bag. Another bag that came out recently is by Shimoda Designs, and they make two different bags of 40 liter, and I think the larger one is a 60 liter. They just had a really successful Kickstarter campaign. That bag looks really sweet. I think it's a little more than what I'm needing in a bag, but it does look really sweet. So people might be interested to see that come to the market. And I fully expect it will come to market because they teamed up with Tenba, and mm-hmm. you know they've been Tenba's been around forever. So since Tenba was effectively backing them, uh, giving them some support somehow in some way, I don't know exactly how, but it's going to be a good bag. I, I think it's going to be a nice bag, and I hope that one of us can get uh, a trial bag to uh, to test out. That would be really sweet.
0: Yeah, that would be, that would be. I've seen a, a little bit of it advertised as well, and um, I believe the the founder of it, I think transferred over from F stop oh, okay. the, or something like that. Sure. So, um, which I like, I like their bags, what I've seen from those. So, absolutely. okay. And then you had another one here that kind of would, uh, dealt with like a business briefcase.
1: Yeah. So the biggest thing that I was trying to find a solution for was something that could be also a backpack. And so I found the Eagle Creek straight up business briefcase. It takes up to a 15 or might even be a 17 inch, uh, notebook computer, and that's a little more than I need. Uh, when I'm traveling, I just have my 13-inch uh, MacBook Pro with me, but it has a, a nice uh, set of straps that I can just pull out, and it turns itself into a backpack. It's wonderful. I can also dump the uh, camera insert from my messenger bag. I have that 10 by DNA 13 messenger. I can mm-hmm. take the camera insert and just dump it in this bag, and it becomes a camera bag. And I absolutely love it, the way that all the zippers work. Everything is beautiful on this bag. The only things I don't, if I were to come up with a negative about this bag, is that it doesn't have a tripod holder or the straps that I could strap a tripod to the side or the back or the bottom of it, whatever. And it doesn't have a water bottle holder, but it does have enough space on the inside. My ultra compact tripod would easily fit in there, but I would like something for a more medium sized tripod. So for some trips, this is going to be perfect. For others, this is going to be Kind of not so so perfect, but I ended up buying this for work because I wanted a new uh, computer bag anyway, and this is just absolutely going to be beautiful because really convenient. I can just toss my camera gear in there from the same holder that I already am using, and the extra pockets and whatnot it has is really convenient. So I really like that bag, and I'm very pleased with it.
0: Okay, good. And any
1: other ones? So the last one I have to talk about is an REI bag, the Trail 40 is uh, the one that I ended up buying. They have one uh, also specifically designed for women, uh, but I bought the Trail 40 for the men's style and I bought the large. They have a medium and a large. The difference is about two inches in the harness size, but the bag volume itself is the same. And this is the one I'm trying out. And there's some things about it that I'm starting to think, you know, can I live with that as an inconvenience or or whatnot? So I have a few trips coming up here in the next uh, month or so. Uh, I'll be trying it out and I'm still remain positive, but I, I liked it enough to buy it. And I was actually in Denver uh, a couple of weeks ago at a conference and I went to the REI there in Denver and they had it. And I spent about two and a half hours going through all their bags and I had my camera bag there and all the different personnel that came up. Can I help you? Can I help you? Can I help? They're so friendly and everything, but it got a little annoying because I'm like, I just need to have time, you know? And i I'm like, I, I know what I need. I know what I want. Uh, I just need time. And so I'm, throwing my gear into the bags this way and that way. And just had a fantastic time there uh, doing that. And that's where I found actually the Eagle Creek straight up. And of course, this RA Trail 40. So the the pros is, to me, a pro is it does not look like a camera bag at all. And I think that's wonderful. But of course, a con would be there's no padding. You have to have uh, a camera insert. So I do have a camera insert. It's not the one I did try using. And I made the decision based off of the one that goes in my messenger bag, but uh, I could use that, but I needed one that closes up just a little better. So I got a slightly larger one that uh, goes in there, holds my 5D Mark IV and three lenses, no problem, but it has a cinch cord to uh, hold everything shut. And that way, as the bag is on my back, the stuff doesn't just fall out the side because the insert is on its side. And if I use my other one, of course, it just would fall out and that wouldn't be good. I might crack the screen or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't look like a camera bag, I really like that. It does fit under the seat in front of me when I'm flying, but just barely, uh, that's another thing I want because as I'm packing light, I still wanna be able to have that other carry-on bag, which of course is really large compared to what, sits on, what goes underneath the seat in front of you. And so I wanna have it so this is small enough to go under the seat in front of me. But additionally, I even took a picture of this. Uh, when I fly out of my hometown, the only planes that serve us are these little puddle jumper, the Q400s. And when you take your carry-on bag, your regular size carry-on bag, you have to drop plane side, and they will literally put it in the the regular storage area, the the regular luggage area. And I have done it where I put my gear in there, uh, because my gear bag is just so large. Like when I flew down to Phoenix last year, my gear bag was so large, I could not get you know that on the plane any any way I wanted to. Well, this bag will fit in the overhead compartment inside that smaller plane, whereas a regular, you know, carry-on size bag wouldn't uh, fit in that overhead compartment. So this, this doesn't force me to put it in the luggage hold, which is something I'm really interested in. But on those smaller planes, this bag has to go in the overhead compartment. It cannot go in the, under the seat in front of me because it's just a smaller seat. So right. it's really nice to have that. And then it holds also my computer as well and the harness on it, you know, that's the straps and the in the belt, uh the waist belt. Absolutely perfect. It's wonderful. It has a nice aluminum frame that keeps things nice and rigid for me and shaped the way I need it to be shaped for my back is just wonderful. And uh I even asked I got on the on the Facebook Messenger with Tenba. They have a backpack, a DNA messenger, or excuse me, DNA backpack, and it also has a removable insert and I said why is that not the same size as your 13, your, your messenger bag 13? Because I would so buy that because it would be super convenient. And they emailed back or they wrote back saying, well, it's, that's a little bit longer and a little bit narrower, but the format of the 13 doesn't fit into a backpack. And I'm like, make the backpack bigger, you know, Mm -hmm. give me something that I could have both as a messenger and a backpack. Oh, I'd be all over that. So I went this route and I'm really enjoying it so far. It has two water bottle holders, one I use for my tripod. Plus it also has a built-in strap that I can attach the tripod in place to hold it up top so it doesn't wiggle out and fall out and everything like that. And it's got some extra pockets and gear uh, for the extra gear. But the problem I'm finding is they're really not optimized for a photographer. They are workable. But as far as the angles in which they open and, and how big they are, it is a little bit. That's the part I'm trying to convince myself is okay. versus I just need to keep looking for another bag
0: yeah and I think you you definitely have to buy some type of i c u of your own that you can put in it to um to test it out
1: <laughs> yeah and so I do have that, and that's where it, it that's where the camera gear goes and then there's still tons of extra room for the other stuff, whether it's um i do have the peak design little satchel type thing I don't know it's about eight inches wide or whatever it's a little little carry case for the charger and stuff like that. I just toss that in there, and I've got a few other things like that so uh definitely have. Room for my other stuff. It's just those pockets for, let's say, organizing your memory cards. You know, you have to have something else to organize your memory cards in this bag. It there, there's nothing that's built into the bag uh, because it's not built for a photographer. But you know, yeah. I, I knew that going in, and and that's just something as you're making a decision. Uh, think about it, how it works for you, and and whatnot. Well, so
0: I think it's important to clarify here that this is not an advertisement at all for any type of bag. Oh, no. Um, n-
1: none of these you, companies have paid me or anything like that. And, and I'm just trying things out. Absolutely.
0: But that's what I like. What I what you just said, and I never really thought of this before. And I think this is a great thing for the listeners is... So you, you took your camera gear into REI with you to yes. kind of... And see, and, and I've never done that. I've always just... Uh, ordered a bag or if there's a bag that I'm reviewing, it's been sent to me. Yeah. But I, I think I would totally do that. Um, I would go to the camera stores or, or wherever right. with my camera gear and test it out because that's the only way you're gonna know. And that's so much more convenient than having to return a bag because of this or oh, return yeah. a bag because of that. So that that's a great idea and this bag uh, at REI online it's showing like $109 which that's a that's a great price right
1: and then you add about 40 back. bucks for the ICU and you know 140 total for a bag not too shabby
0: right Awesome. Well, you know, I've always been a big fan of the think tank bags and I'm not going to go into (laughs) any right now, but I have a handful of them. And again, there's always a a few different bags that I tend to find myself using for a few different reasons. But um, I think as, as everyone here listening probably does as well, you know, we love our, our gear and you know, it's important to make sure that you have a good bag that allows you to uh, pack it all and, and have it all, everything you need with you, as well as being able to get it to fit on the airplane and all.
1: Absolutely.
0: So, good point with that. Um, so tell us, uh, Brent, also, just let's step aside for a second. I know you've got a couple of workshops that you're working on, right? That you have coming up. What's yes. going on? Pre-
1: yes, you bet. I have pulled the trigger on a few things. Uh, those of you that are going to Charleston with us for the improved photography retreat, I now have a Sunday workshop. My Wednesday workshop has long been sold out. And I now have a Sunday workshop where we are going to have a sunrise boat tour. We're going to get out on an island on a... It looks to me like it's uninhabited. At least the area that we're going to is uninhabited. But as you look at the map, there's no roads running to it. And there's a sandbar that leads out to a lighthouse. We're going to be able to have all sorts of goodness there shooting uh, that at sunrise. So I've worked with the boat operator and everything. So we're going to take a boat tour uh and get sunrise for that and then we got other things if you can extend and go throughout the rest of the day but i've split that one into two because i know some people are going to need to leave for home uh fly out from charleston uh so i have split that into two so you can do just the the morning section if you want uh, i then have two international ones coming up in late june i'm looking to go to ireland and hopefully take some people along and we can go photograph uh the dingle peninsula and the ring of Kerry. And the port city of Galway and the Aran Islands. And the Aran Islands, that's where basically it is the old Gaelic culture at its finest. And Mm -hmm. I was there, hmm, I was there several years ago, um, more than 10 years ago, I guess it was, and just absolutely had a blast. It was just so fantastically wonderful. Uh, We'll also be heading off to a place that's more central on the island called the Rock of Cashel and the Hoare Abbey. Uh, But then there's also another abbey way up north, um, comparatively to where we'll be. It's it's not way, way up north, called the Kylemore Abbey. Absolutely fantastic and gorgeous. Great place. They have good gardens. They have the the abbey that's reflected in a beautiful pond. Uh, They have an old ancient church there. Just so many awesome, wonderful things. And if you've seen the latest uh, Star Wars movie, they actually had lots of shooting in Ireland and in Croatia, where I'm also heading. So... Uh, in Ireland, so is this
0: like a, is this like a star Wars theme
1: workshop? <laughs> it wasn't intended to be, but I am actually looking at, I'm going to be looking at changing it up to go out to that Island where Luke Skywalker was found. I guess you could call it, uh, by, by, uh, Ray, they have a, they have boat tours that go out there. And so I'm going to see if we can't get, um, an extended tour and be out there a little longer, uh, if there's any chance that that can happen uh rather than going to the Aran Islands, because if we could do that, I think that would be a whole lot of fun. It's a just beautiful island out there. Mm. But like they also had uh the Beehive Huts uh where they called it in the movie the Temples, uh where he was, you know, on that ancient area. Uh they actually have a place on the mainland called Beehive Huts that we'll go shoot as well. So we'll have some items that are similar to that. Uh in Croatia, the movie they uh did a lot of shooting in the city of Dubrovnik and that's about where we'll spend half of our time And that one is in September. So if you have some time available in early September, uh, look up Croatia. If you're interested in waterfalls, a little bit of seascape, uh, lots of landscape, lots of um, cityscape, uh, ancient towns, ancient cities, and we'll even get into over into Bosnia and Herzegovina, it's going to be an adventure for your camera, for yourself. It's going to be wonderful. So looking forward to those two. I have had some people interested in that Croatia one that's been uh, announced a little bit longer, but both places... um, I've been to both. I just love them. They're wonderful. I know. Uh, we just
0: had the honor of uh, joining Nick Page recently mm-hmm. uh, recently for right. one of the episodes of his uh, uh, landscape photography podcast that That's he right. has. Mm-hmm. And and that was fun. So shout out to Nick and definitely uh, check check that out. The recent episode, both Brent and I were on and we were talking about some things that deal with traveling and all.
1: Yeah, and we, we got into some horror stories. So kind of go give that a listen. That's That was a lot of fun. Maybe we can talk about it down the line here as well, but that was that was a lot of fun.
0: Mm-hmm. Very entertaining. Um, and as, as far as workshops go, Nick and I are in the process of coming up with uh, one as well that we're going to be doing that we've kind of been... Uh, Thinking about it for a while, we have a friend, shout out to Neil Ritchie, who lives in Ireland. And so the three of us are thinking of doing one on his side of the island uh, sometime probably around the end of July, beginning of August. So we'll get back to you about that. So good stuff. Workshops are are great. Especially travel workshops. It's a great way to travel to locations and kind of see the best of it and come back with a great portfolio. And I think, you know, anyone listening, you know, right now uh, obviously enjoys traveling and you enjoy photography and a workshop is one of the best ways. So definitely look into those.
1: And it's going to be nice, you know, a difference on yours. If you're going to have a local with you, that certainly goes over really well. So that that could be a nice benefit uh, for that. And I think we're going to different regions as well. So people, you know, as, as you guys come up with your details and whatnot, go to both of them because Ireland is absolutely awesome and uh, there's so much to offer there.
0: Well, let's go ahead and let's jump over now to my interview with Peter Konshak. He, again, is a photographer uh, who uh, lives in my area. So I actually had the opportunity to sit down with Peter and talk about Mexico because it is a place where he goes to multiple times a year and I have not been there yet. So let's jump on in and listen to this. Peter, why don't you go ahead and just tell us a little bit about who you are so the listeners here have an idea.
2: Well, I am a uh, librarian. I live in Indianapolis, very near Carmel and very near Bryan. And I am kind of new to the photography world. I uh, I like to travel, and I was carrying a lot of point-and-shoot cameras with me, um, taking a lot of pictures, and just kind of got more interested in photography as I went along. And I've just this year, finally, actually purchased my first uh, DL- DSLR and um, trying to get some better image quality than the point-and-shoots I was carrying for a few years.
0: Okay, and Peter, we are sitting right now, we're actually face-to-face inside this box. Well, we're kind of eye-to-eye because our, our mouth is covered up by this crazy, like, half-drum-type thing uh, in this cool sound box in the Carmel Digital Media Lab. Tell us briefly what this is.
2: So, the Digital Media Lab is uh, part of the Carmel Clay Public Library, uh, who's my employer. And uh, it's basically a space for digital creativity. And uh, we have a sound isolation booth, which is where we are today. And we also have 3D printing. And we have some really nice high end iMacs with the Adobe Creative Cloud. And uh, I guess kind of the way I got to know Brian a little bit was that he helped out by doing a uh, Lightroom class for us uh, about this time last year.
0: Yeah, and uh, through my time here and getting to know Peter a little bit, I had started to follow him on Instagram, and I noticed that it seemed like every week Peter was gone. He seemed to be on vacation, and he was always in Mexico. And so I asked him, I'm like, "Was, was this like... Were these pictures from a while back or or where? And it turns out that he just goes to Mexico a lot. And Mexico is actually one place that I have not been to yet. In all my travels around the world and the different places I've gone to, I just feel that uh, maybe because it's closer or something, I, I just haven't gone there yet in my life. Um, or maybe I'm just not familiar with it, or I, I don't know yet what I would find interesting there, although I have some ideas. But uh, from watching... Peter's Instagram account and seeing a lot of the photos. I've become intrigued and, and been wanting to know more. So I thought this would be a great opportunity to have Peter on to share a little bit about Mexico. How many how many times now have you been?
2: So I had to go back and count because I was I was sure you were going to ask me this. I, I took my 29th trip uh, back in November, and that is just since 2008. Uh, so I have been down there quite a lot the last ten years. Wow! Yeah, and. Why? Well, I think um, my fascination with with Mexico and the culture goes back to my childhood. Uh, when I was younger, my grandparents lived during the winters in the Rio Grande Valley in um, southern Texas, and my family would go down to visit them. This was in the late 1970s, and normally when we would visit, we would walk across the border, uh, and the um, the markets, and just the different things that you see. Uh, just a few hundred feet outside of the United States. It's Just fascinating for a child. And um, somewhere along the way, I got interested in that again. And I said, I need to start going back to Mexico. And it had been a long time. And so, uh, we decided, my wife and I, one year to head down to Cancun, which is kind of the easiest entry point for a lot of people for Christmas, because we wanted to get out of the cold Indiana winters. And that sort of kicked off... Um, reinvigorated this interest I have in Mexico and and the culture and just seeing the country and so i 've really tried to expand my um, expand out of the tourist areas uh, and anymore don 't really go to the more popular places trying to find uh, really off the beaten path places to visit instead
0: and at, at what point did you start to bring your camera or really get into the to photographing mexico
2: well, I had a small I think it was a Canon point and shoot. The first time I went, and I think, gosh, the resolution on that thing was probably about 640 by 480. And I remember I was in Tulum, which is uh, this ancient Mayan ruin off the coast of uh, on the coast near Cancun, and it it died. Um, And I think I replaced that with a couple other canons, and then at some point I decided to move to Sony, and um, I just got more interested, and I was posting pictures on Facebook, and people were like, "Wow, you know, really like seeing these." And it kind of spurred me to try and do a little bit better. And so I've been trying the past couple years to actually uh, be a little bit more thoughtful about the photos I'm taking and not just sort of snapping away madly at everything that I see.
0: Is there a certain, uh, not specially, but certain interest that you have that you enjoy capturing the most? I've seen a, a lot of your photos. Sometimes you'll post some different doorways.
2: Yeah, I think I kind of started off with churches. Um There's a lot of really beautiful churches in Mexico. Um, For those of you that don't know much about Mexican history, obviously, there was uh, some fairly established culture there before the Spanish arrived in 1519, and the Spanish sort of uh, imposed Catholicism on the people, and some of the churches are a really interesting mesh of ancient beliefs with Catholicism, and so you see these beautiful... Um, ceilings painted in ways that you probably wouldn't see anywhere else. They're very different from the churches you'd see in Europe. Um, a lot of gold and gild and things like that from, from the Spanish. And so I kind of started off there. I was just fascinated, but I've I've kind of waned on the church thing a little bit. You see so many colonial churches and you start to get kind of tired of them. <laughs> and I do, I do actually really, really like doors. Um, I like to take pictures of big wooden doors. Uh, there's a lot of really interesting details in a lot of places uh, that I really enjoy looking for and photographing.
0: Yeah, there's so m- there seems to be so many great colors in Mexico or in a lot of other countries really. I mean, I'm sure we have that here in the United States, but uh, maybe it just stands out to me more when I'm in different different places. And uh, that's what I like about your pictures is you have a lot of uh, a lot of bold colors in it. I would say they're very, very vibrant. But would you say, I mean, you don't consider yourself really to be a photographer, do
2: you? I had an interesting discussion with someone, uh, you know, and I said, you know, I'm just kind of a hobbyist and an amateur photographer. And she said, well, have you ever sold a photo? And I said, well, yeah. And she said, well, that means you're a professional. I don't really think of myself that way. Um, I would consider it to be a a hobby, something that I'm really interested in. It's, It's not, you know, the way I make a living. Um, but I do enjoy printing photos, and I do enjoy hanging them in places, and if and, uh, people want to buy one, I'm more than happy to sell them, and I, that makes me really happy.
0: You remind me of Jeff Harmon, the host of Photo Taco, because Jeff keeps saying all the time, oh, you know, I'm a hobbyist, I'm a hobbyist, I'm a hobbyist, but your photographs are not at all the, the quality of a hobbyist. You've got some really beautiful images. And I believe there's there's one image that I think nobody can possibly capture anymore. It's uh, the one, and maybe you could tell us about it, that has the the moon. It's like the church with the volcano and the moon
2: in it from Mexico. Yeah, so this is a really interesting story, and it's kind of a, I don't know, kind of a personal saga that I, I got into. There's a really famous church in Cholula, Mexico, which is sort of contiguous to Puebla, and um, there's a very large pyramid there. And the Spaniards, as they kind of like to do, decided to build a church on top of the pyramid. Um, and that was sort of their way of establishing that they were the dominant culture. Uh, so, there's this beautiful yellow church, and it's called the Iglesia de los Remedios. And if you stand in the appropriate place in Cholula, you can get the church on top of the pyramid, which really looks more like a hill uh, with a volcano called Popo. I'm not saying that right, probably, but the locals call it popos, behind it. And you really have to get everything right for this shot. Um, It took four trips, actually, before I got the photo the way I wanted it. The first time, I didn't really know what I was doing, didn't have um, anything other than a point-and-shoot, and and the lens wasn't long enough. Uh, The second and third times, the weather wasn't right. And so, at the end of the third time, I said to it—I think it was a taxi cab driver—I said, "You know, when is the sky really clear?" And he said, "Oh, you have to come in the rainy season because there's enough particulates and junk in the air that when it rains, it clears out the sky, and you can actually see the volcano." So, I was in Mexico again in September, and I specifically booked myself two days um, in Cholula to try to get this photo, and to kind of tell you the links I went to. Um, it's really hard to see this view from the ground, and so I actually booked two separate Airbnbs that I had access to rooftops because I wanted to be able to get up high. Well, it turned out both of them were wrong anyway, uh, so I was pretty frustrated by that, and I found a pedestrian bridge over the highway, and I was actually able to stand there, and someone had very kindly cut a hole in the wire mesh that I was able to poke the camera through. And So I walked myself down there. Um, during the blue hour, I like to take blue hour photos, and got some really nice shots of the church. Happened to be a full moon as well, and um, they turned out just beautiful. But about two weeks later, there was a really large earthquake centered near there, and it toppled uh, the towers of this church. And um, I'm sure they, we, they will rebuild it, but uh, it was kind of disheartening to see that, you know. Um, something that old was damaged that way. Uh, so at the, at this time, it's closed. Um, but hopefully, you know, in the next year or two, they'll get it repaired and open, and, and that opportunity will present itself for other photographers again. Because
0: mm-hmm, it's a, a beautiful image. I'm trying to remember if it's on your Instagram. I know I saw it. it I is. don't know if it was on Facebook or if I saw it through Instagram.
2: Yeah, it's on my Instagram account.
0: And so why don't you go ahead and take a second
2: and share what uh, your Instagram account is. Um, so it's just Peter K. Travels. Um, and I also have a blog, uh, which is unfortunately woefully out of date, called PeterKTravels.com. There is a lot of Mexico photography on there. I haven't done a great job of updating it uh, with some of my more recent trips in this past year, but I'm um, hoping to get it done here in the in the next couple months.
0: Yeah, it's always hard to uh, to follow up on the blog aspect or the story sharing when you're busy taking pictures and then you come home and you know you edit them and then you gotta get back to real life and a lot of <laughs> responsibilities I know on my website <laughs> uh, I probably shouldn't admit this but I think if you click on my blog it says oh I'm I'm transitioning from uh, Facebook back into the on to trying to blog and uh, come back and check you know, and see what's going on, and I, I never came back to update it, <laughs> and it's been at least a year, so I need to work in that myself. Uh, as far as traveling to Mexico, is there a certain Because I know you've traveled to a, diff- a lot of different parts. Is there a certain area that you kind of favor? Uh,
2: I would say probably my favorite city is Guanajuato. Um, A lot of the listeners may have heard of San Miguel Allende. It's a place that kind of crops up on uh, the 10 best destinations lists a lot. Uh, It's very close to that. They're kind of uh, maybe an hour apart, and they're both really beautiful places. Uh, San Miguel is a little bit more touristy, um, maybe a great place, probably, for someone who hasn't spent a lot of time in Mexico to maybe have kind of a soft landing. A lot of people there will speak a little English. There's a tourist economy there that's, that's a big deal for them. So that's a really great place to go. Um, and nearby there, Guanajuato is probably my favorite place. And what makes it so special for me is it's an old colonial mining city, and it's kind of built in a ravine. And the city stretches up the hills, and uh, the streets there are very narrow. Uh, In fact, many of them are too narrow for cars. They would have used donkeys or um, something like that to get up there in the past. And so, it's kind of an adventure as you climb up these narrow alleys just to see what's around the corner. And there are a lot of beautiful details, doors. It's a great place to find um, photos of animals, cats and dogs in particular. They seem to be everywhere. And a lot of times, you'll kind of top out at a place, and there'll be just a beautiful vista of the city kind of unfolding below you. And so, that's probably my favorite place to go. I'd say I've been there four times. It's a nice city. It's a university town. There's a lot of culture there. They host a huge music and art festival every September. Uh, That's about three weeks long. It's a great time to go, but uh, accommodations would be harder to find then. And it's easy enough to get to. Um, there's an airport nearby called Bahio León, BJX is the code, and flights through Houston to BJX are fairly reasonable, and it's only about 30 minutes from the airport to Guanajuato. So you can actually do it as kind of a almost a long weekend, um, depending on what you're looking for, but that would be a place that I kind of return to, um, and I always find good shots when I'm there.
0: So are we talking, is this like... Somewhere around Mexico City, or are we in northern Mexico, where give us an idea because um, you're saying the names of
2: these cities and it's a geography question right <laughs> uh, it would be north, I guess. Um, there's a kind of a wide variety of cities arrayed sort of north of Mexico City that were silver mining for the most part uh, was why they were founded, and it's one of those, and so it had uh, tremendous amounts of wealth back in the. 16 and 1700s and the mines are still operational today um, not on a huge scale and you can tour them actually but there are a whole variety of these cities San Miguel Allende Guanajuato and if you go further north Zacatecas is another one and they tend to have just beautiful architecture because there was so much money there back in the 15 late 1500s to the 1700s from the silver mining and so you'll see fantastic churches, really beautiful architecture, and um, a lot of great photo opportunities.
0: Yeah, it seems like Mexico is just filled with photo opportunities, whether it's like the beaches or some of the, the old ruins near the Yucatan and uh, just a lot of the vibrant colors of the culture. So, you know, as I've seen your your pictures and all, it definitely is a place that's being bumped up closer on my list of Uh, places wanting to travel to soon. So I know that you and I I have talked about this just briefly on our own before. But uh, if I were to take my first trip, or a listener is taking their first trip to Mexico, where would you recommend they go for their first photo trip?
2: Well, I think the places I already mentioned um, is a great place to start. Um, San Miguel Allende is beautiful and obviously close by to Guanajuato. I think Mexico City is really a fantastic place. It's inexpensive to fly to. There's a wide variety of hotel options there, but it is really large. It's 20 to 25 million people, and I think for some people that can be pretty overwhelming. So, If you like hustle and bustle, that might be a place to start. There are world-class museums there. You're very close to uh, some very large pyramids. The Pyramid of the Sun and the Pyramid of the Moon um, are two of the largest ones in Mexico, and I think the Pyramid of the Sun is the second or third largest pyramid uh, in the world. Those are all very close to Mexico City. I think for ease, going to the Yucatan Peninsula is probably sort of the default at this point. Um, Obviously, there's a huge tourist infrastructure built up around Cancun, and there are some really interesting things to see around there. You're relatively close to Chichen Itza. Um, You're also very close to Tulum, and there's a lot of um, smaller towns around there that are kind of interesting if you want to get off the beaten path. And if you were to go further west, about four hours of Cancun, there's a really nice city called Merida, which is very, very safe. It's a very nice place. It's very hot, I will say that. Um, But it's also a good base to work from if you're going to be in the Yucatan Peninsula and maybe you don't want to go to Cancun if you want to kind of avoid the the tourist um, ecosystem there. And just uh, one other suggestion in that area, there's a town or city called Campeche, which is about an hour and a half south of Merida, so it's kind of on the west coast of the Yucatan Peninsula, and it's a UNESCO World Heritage site. And it has a uh, a walled central core of the city that was um, constructed again in the late 1500s, and they walled it off to protect from pirates. And they've restored the centro of that city and painted the buildings, and everything there is beautiful, bright colors. It's really just fabulous, and. Um, it's another place where if you're really after those bright, colorful shots, um, you really can't get enough of it. And it's very easy to get to uh, if you're interested in, in that. Um, there's also some Mayan ruins near there as well. So the Yucatan is really a great place, I think, for someone who's new to Mexico, um, who maybe doesn't want to deal with the big city to, to start. So let's
0: talk about uh, kind of traveling and getting around in these areas. Have you um, like? What do you recommend? You know, is it? Have you found it safe? What type of transportation do you like to use, and how easy is it to move around from place to place? Because you've been to a lot of places, and I don't know if they've all been just separate trips, or it seems like you tend to go from one spot to the other. So, how do you move around when you're there?
2: So I take the bus. Uh, I don't particularly is that a chicken bus. <laughs> no, no. no. I actually, uh, the buses they have there, the big buses that go between cities are very large Mercedes or Volvo buses, and they are probably more luxurious than a first-class seat on an airplane. I kid you not. Wow. Uh, a lot of them will recline almost f- flat for sleeping. They have entertainment. Um, they have really good air conditioning. The buses have restrooms, and they are inexpensive. And so, uh, If I'm going anywhere more than an hour, I'm probably going to look for one of those style buses. and. Um, for example, if you were going to go to Cancun and you wanted to head to Merida, buses like I'm talking about, they leave about every 30 minutes. So it's it's incredibly efficient infrastructure built around public transport, almost strictly buses. You don't see trains and things like that anymore. Uh, I've never rented a car in Mexico. It probably would be useful to get to some of the really out of the way places. Um, I've always found it easier to base myself in a larger city and then either find a local bus, which may not be the nice bus, maybe more like your chicken bus, um, or even just paying a taxi driver. Uh, sometimes it's easier to just hire someone for the day and say, uh, you know, I want you to drive me to this ruin and wait for me for three hours while I look at it and then drive me back. And, and those kind of uh, accommodations are usually very easy to make, either through your hotel or sometimes even just by asking people on the street. So, uh, ¿tu hablo espanol? Uh, un poco. Un poco. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: Which I had... think I think everyone knows that my <laughs> bad language there was asking if you speak Spanish and you said a little bit.
2: Yeah. I, um, I, th- I think I probably do quite well in making arrangements and finding the buses and getting around, uh, you know, sort of the basic things that you need to be able to do. Um, if it were a more in-depth conversation about politics or something like that, I would be absolutely lost. So
0: So when you travel there, do you tend to travel solo by yourself or does your wife come with you? Do you go with anybody else?
2: I have, uh, I'd say about 50% of the time I'm by myself and the other, um, mostly with my wife. I did take a friend with me on a trip in September for a week, um, kind of played tour guide and that was fun. Um, that was the trip where I wanted to go back to Cholula and try to get that church volcano photo and he was very accommodating with me. So it just kind of varies. Um, depends on, on, um, you know, if someone really wants to go, what time of year it is. My wife's a teacher, so she's, her, um, availability is limited. So if I want to go, uh, during the school year, I usually go by myself.
0: Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's talk about safety then, whether you're traveling by yourself or with others, how, how safe is it? I guess, you know, you, you hear a lot of things about, uh, you know, drugs and violence and this and that, which you hear more about that typically in Latin America than you do in, in other places, or at least in Europe. But uh, how much of that have you found to be true? Have you had any instances where you were concerned about your safety?
2: Well, I think safety is is probably the number one concern. Um, obviously, Mexico gets a lot of press about the, the continuing um, narco traffic that's happening there. Um, kind of the the thing that people that travel there a lot have always said is, you know, well, if you're not involved in the drug trade, uh, people aren't going to mess with you. I wouldn't say that's entirely true. Um, like any other place you could go, there are uh, instances of petty crime. I did have somebody try to snatch a camera out of my hand uh, in Veracruz, Mexico, a few years ago. Um, they didn't get it. But
0: I So wait, let's pause there for a second because I've always visualized this happen to me happening to me and wondering what would I do. Would I fight it, you know, to not let them get it? But then there's a the concern of they may want to make sure they have it and it could be more violent, or do you just kinda of be like, let it go and, and move on? So how did tell us how that kind of evolved?
2: Well, you know, it was an odd situation because it was in the middle of the day in a very, very busy place, and I was only—I um, was carrying a Sony RX100, which um, is a very popular smaller uh, point-and-shoot, and I had it in my right hand, and I was taking a picture of something, some building, I don't remember what, and I saw somebody coming at me out of the corner of my eye, um, and I kind of at first thought the person was just joking around, and um, I had the camera in my right hand and. Uh, he was trying to pry it out of my hand, and I thought, okay, this is this is for real. Um, and so I basically uh, stiff-armed him with my left arm, and I'm fairly larger than him, and basically pushed him into the ground. Um, and then he he got up and took off. And it, I mean, it was over in 15, 20 seconds. I mean, it just happened like a flash. I never had a thought of, you know, should I give up the camera? It was just, no, you're not taking this away from me. Was this
0: like a, a young adult male, a yeah. child? What? Okay. Yeah,
2: under twenty
0: five. Because to be honest with you, you're not the biggest of guys. <laughs> I mean, you're you're pretty slim, and, and and you were bigger than him though.
2: Yeah, and I don't want to paint. Uh, you know, again, uh, after twenty nine trips, you know, you, at some point you start thinking something's going to happen to you, and and it does. Things happen. Um, people get pickpocketed. Uh, so I, I don't want to, you know. Focus too much on that, but it does happen. And obviously, cameras are something that people uh, are interested in. Um, phones actually seem to be the thing that they're more interested in anymore. Leaving a phone sitting on the edge of a restaurant table, for example, and somebody rides by on a bike and snatches it. You know, that's that's the sort of crime you hear most about. But you also hear about that, um, you know, in Europe and. Uh, I know someone who was pickpocketed in Barcelona, so you know I think you have to be aware of your surroundings at all times. Um, I do go out a lot, uh, like I was saying earlier. I do like to do photography um, in the blue hour, and so I'm often out before dawn or after the sun is down. Um, and I haven't ever had a problem. Knock on wood, uh, those times a day. The one time a day I did have a problem was the middle of the day when there were a million people around, and I just. It was just an odd situation. Mm-hmm.
0: I've always visualized, you know, what would I do? And there was, I often refer back to, uh, I had some travel photography where I had like 26 flights in 25 days going through five countries in Central America and Peru and Brazil and South America. And uh, the question came up to me, well, you know, what if this, what if that? And I just kind of assumed it was going to happen at some point. I figured the odds are with all the places I was going to be and the time of day, it's just going to happen. And fortunately, it never did. But uh, I guess the security thing kind of my plan was to I have this fake wallet. It's an old uh, cheap one. And because what I do is I have like a little, it's not a fanny pouch, but it's a Rick Steves little like thin pouch that my passport can go in, my wallet can go in and anything important hooks onto my belt and then I flip it inside my pants. So nobody's going to be able to get to, but in my pocket, I have a fake wallet because if somebody were to come up to me and they definitely wanted something, uh, my plan was I would take out this wallet and I would toss it in one direction and then I'd run in the other direction. And inside the wallet, I have some like... Um, you know, just some dollars or coins from uh, Central America that's just, you know, not worth more than a buck or two, and some um, some old gift cards that, <laughs> that have no value on them anymore. Kroger but, card. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> or, or Marsh, now that that's out in our area. Um, to where it looks like there's something in there. So, you know, that was kind of m- my plan. Do you have any type of of plan, or are you just more, uh, you know, I'm just going to constantly try to be aware of my surroundings?
2: You know, I, I really don't have a plan. I think I carry the absolute minimum amount of stuff with me wherever I go. And I i I don't think you always know how you're going to react in a situation. Um, and, and I think these things can happen so quickly. And uh, my my reaction in this one was to fight back, and um, you know, but there was one person. Um, if it had been three people, maybe the camera just you know got thrown on the ground, and and you back away. Uh, it's just really hard to know. But no, I don't I don't really have a strategy. Um, I have traveled a few other places where I expected kind of as you were saying to have problems. Uh, Bolivia was one of them in La Paz. I was so paranoid there, uh, and really saw nothing. And so I just, you know, sometimes I think it's just bad luck.
0: Right. Right. Well, so I I guess it's it's good to say, you know, it's good to kinda have some type of plan, but I think you're right with you never know exactly what you're going to do until you're in that scenario. And what I usually hear is that people they're not going to want they don't want to hurt you. They just want your stuff. So ultimately sometimes it's better just to give it to them and and move on with your day.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think that's the the important thing. Is obviously no one's safety and security is worth um, you know your camera. Um, I will say I did. I, I do have one strategy, and that is I do change my um, SD card every day. So at the end of the day, I pull it and I stick it away, and I put a new one in. So uh, heaven forbid if somebody did get my camera, uh, I am not losing you know three days worth of photos. And I just find that rotating. Smaller 16 or 32 gig cards in and out um, is better than having one giant card with everything on it. And I suppose in case of a failure, that would be a nice thing, too. So I do that, actually. Um, I try to bring at least one card for every day that I'm going to be somewhere. Mm. And uh, at the end of the day, it goes into a, um, a safe storage space and it doesn't stay with the camera.
0: So when you're out and about, do you keep it back at your in your room or do you have it on you? Which? The uh, the memory card.
2: Oh, the one with like yesterday's photos. Yeah, I no, I leave it back in the room. Okay. Yeah,
0: because I know there's also the concern of oh, well, if somebody breaks into your room, you know. <clears throat> but ultimately, if they break into your room, why would they want to steal a little memory card?
2: <laughs> yeah, know, they're, they're yeah, going to want that, right? But. Yeah, most hotel rooms have safes, and, uh, you know, I've never had a problem with anybody taking anything out of a room. Um, other than the the attempted snatch on the camera, I've really never had any problems at all. I mean, occasionally you'll get a, you know, a belligerent drunk or something like that, but that's that's happened to me in Italy and other places as well, so um, I don't tend to ascribe any of that to a certain place. Now, Do you bring a computer with you at all? I carry a Chromebook. Uh, I have... Um, I, you know, I I, I have like a hundred fifty dollar Chromebook, and I usually just wait to process photos until I get back. And um, the Chromebook is enough for me, and it um, you know you can still use it to do some minor things using like Pixlr or, or something like that. Um, but no, I, I I don't really care to carry a heavier laptop with me. I'm the
0: type I like to usually have my laptop with me, and if it's a job that I know it's kind of like this is my one shot type thing where I'm going to be there. I usually have a little, have another device where I just dump all the pictures onto that device, and then I also put it onto my laptop as well, and then I also have it on the card. And I do the same thing with you, where each day I have a new card. And when I was in South America, a friend was with me for that part. Uh, and then he flew home when I went to Central America, so I actually gave him my uh, my memory cards, so they went home with him, just you know, as an extra security feature. And any ones I had on with me, I had them all in a little card holder type thing back in that same uh, Rick Steve's pouch mm-hmm. that I had with me, just to make sure that you know, if I lose my camera, at least I still have those memories yeah. that are captured on there. Absolutely. So I feel like we could talk forever about Mexico and different areas of it. But uh, I guess as we start to wrap things up here, what would be some tips that you would have for a first-time traveler going to Mexico? Maybe it's uh, certain websites you use to kind of look up information. or Well, I would say certain apps for your phone, but let's pause. I think that's another discussion. You don't have a phone.
2: I don't carry a phone with me, no. I don't actually... um
0: Like not just in Mexico, we're talking like right now, as I'm sitting here with you in Carmel, Indiana, which is considered to be one of the safest cities in the country, you don't have a phone.
2: Yeah, I guess I just, uh, I never, and I I will say this, my wife doesn't either, uh, never really felt the need to have a cell phone. And as that technology transitioned into, um, you know, the phone really being more of a mobile computer than a, a phone, I've always been pretty happy with just that Chromebook solution using Skype or something like that, um, or Google Hangouts to make phone calls while I'm away. And so, yeah, I never, um, I never really ended up with one of those. And um, I did finally kind of knuckle under and buy a little tablet, which is uh, pretty much strictly for Instagram use. Um, I will say though, and this relates back to um, to travel in Mexico in particular, it's it's. Uber is very big in Mexico. Um, there's always been kind of a uh, an idea that taxis are unsafe, and uh, years and years ago, uh, they were. You'd find people. Um, they called them express kidnappings, where they, you know, you get in the taxi and they drive you to an ATM. It doesn't really happen anymore, but um, that sort of persists. And so, Uber is actually extremely popular. For example, in Mexico City. Um, Guanajuato, the city I mentioned earlier, Puebla, some really big cities have it, and that is a would be one reason for me to consider getting a smartphone because uh, being able to summon a ride from some far-flung place or uh, whatever on demand would be really nice as opposed to trying to find a taxi or hailing down a bus in the street.
0: But there are so many other great uses for it. You know, <laughs> we've talked on other episodes in the past of all the great apps. You know, There's a, a Sunrise and Sunset app that you could have. There's maps. There's you know Google Translate where you can sit there and just hold the phone up, pointing at something, and it will translate it for you. There's just so many great things.
2: I know. I I, mean, I, I love photographers Ephemeris. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I use it, but again, I use the the web based version of it on my Chromebook. Um, you know, sometimes I'll even like almost go so far as to print the page out and I'll just stick it in my backpack so that I can refer back to it. Uh, I know it's very old school. Um. Uh. Uh, you know the translate thing is interesting. I would potentially use that if I were going somewhere where I didn't speak any of the language. Um, so I, I see the value, but I guess I just quite haven't gotten to the point of pulling the trigger and buying one yet.
0: I think I'm just envious of you. Like I kind of <laughs> wish I could say that, but I just I enjoy the technology way too much and the convenience and and just being able to kind of. Google anything in life that I ever need to be solved
2: well, do you find that when you're on vacation and you're out um, taking photos though that you would prefer to be more disconnected or unencumbered or because that's kind of how I feel at times it's 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 really nice for me to get away and getting away means you know not having the technology on me all the time it's it's available again through uh, the Chromebook or whatever should I want it, but it's more of a choice at that point than a necessity. Do you not have that feeling? Well,
0: all my travels, none of them have been kind of a a vacation. None of them have been like to get away. So, well, in a way, when I do travel, like that's my vacation. Like I want to have that information on my phone. I want to be able to access and figure something out really quickly. Or like instead of being disconnected, I want that extra tool with me to help me get the shots that I want to go home
2: with. Interesting. I tend to pre-plan a lot of my shots. Um, I do just scads of research ahead of time. Uh, I love Google Maps. I will sit and stare at a city from above, and I will drop you know the little pins in to try to see what the view looks like here, what the view looks like there. So generally speaking, by the time I get somewhere, I kind of feel like I know exactly what I want to do um, I like to put together now that I've gotten more interested in photography kind of a shoot list I will actually uh, use like photographer's ephemeris and look at the sunrise sunset times moon cycles and I'll say here's um, you know for any given day if I know I'm going to be in this place here's two or three shots that I might have one in the morning one in the af- uh, in the evening and maybe a, a spare one and if they don't work out they don't work out but I kind of plan all that out ahead of time. Um I like planning and so I kind of feel like by the time I actually land, um, you know I've done all the the hard work and it's more just about execution at that point
0: mm-hmm. Well I, I am not as good at that as you are. <laughs> I, I, I do do that to a certain degree, but I still have to rely on my phone. So yeah okay, so any other tips that you have for a first time traveler going to Mexico?
2: Um. I think we've covered a lot of it. Um, I would say, you know, be mindful of um, certain times of uh, the year. For example, rainy seasons and things like that are very predictable. Certain places in Mexico, um, you can pretty much set your clock by an afternoon rain. Um, So, try to do a little research. Look at some of the weather websites. So, if you're expecting to go to a certain area in September, there's a pretty good chance, you know, that you're going to get rained on or that it will at least rain. Uh, the same wouldn't be said for, for example, in February. So I think it's a lot of research. I tend to um, use Lonely Planet a lot. Um, I look at TripAdvisor fairly regularly. I'm actually very active on both those forums. So if you show up there and you're asking questions, you might actually get an answer from me. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I think. Um, in terms of traveling around, we kind of talked about buses. Money's pretty easy. Most people use ATMs there. They're fairly secure. Um, I don't think a lot of people change money in airports and things like that anymore anywhere, probably in the world. Um, So, no, I think um, that's the majority of it. All right.
0: Great. Peter, I appreciate you uh, sharing your knowledge with us and I know that you've traveled to a lot of countries around the world, and I have really have enjoyed this kind of setup and being able to interview you sort of face-to-face, so hopefully we can do this again. But one last time, will you share with us again where listeners can kind of see some of your work and find out more about you?
2: Yeah, so I have a a, a WordPress blog, and it's just peterktravels.com. And I'm also on Instagram at uh, peterktravels. um I'm not really on Twitter. I have an account, but you won't see any updates there. So the blog or Instagram would be the best place to see what I'm up to.
0: Okay. So that was a great interview. Peter is a great guy. He uh, actually works at a digital computer lab that just happens to be two blocks from my house. So uh, I really have enjoyed getting to know him and and hearing a little bit of his stories. So now that it's uh, 2018 and there is a little bit of time here before 2019 so we have plenty of time to travel and also as photographers we also have plenty of time to do other things in our life and maybe some of you are the types that come up with goals i tend to not do a good job of that but yeah. each year i do try to say to myself okay what is something ultimately that i would desire to do so i don't do a good job of breaking out my goals and say i want to do this and this and this and this category and then this and this and this and then here's how it's going to work out but i wanted to share briefly i have or have Brent and I share briefly just some goals that we do have for this year. So Brent, what are your 2018 goals?
1: Broadly, kind of like what you were saying too, I I don't get into the nitty gritty either. uh, But broadly increasing my energy in both my businesses. And that is my photography business and my rental business. uh, I have a, you know, both of us have a full-time job and we have four children and a spouse and life is what it is. And I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to sacrifice. I don't want to come to the point to where I feel like I'm sacrificing those items because the balance is still going to be really important to me. However, as I'm looking back at 2017, I'm looking at some of the decisions I've made and I'm just like, you know, I could have put probably a little more energy into this. I could have done that. I could have done that. And so I just have that, uh, slightly renewed, um, strength, if you want to call it that. And what I'm hoping for is that just lasts, uh, throughout the year, because this is something that you have to do consistently if you want to build these things up and make them uh, work uh, work out. So, ideally, I'm going to be able to put more energy into both of these uh, sides of the of my uh, external businesses here.
0: Yeah, my my goals deal with uh, one of the main things I need to do is I need to better be organized as a business. So, I need to have some financial organization. Mainly just breaking down where my income comes in as far as uh, whether it's from workshops or weddings or, or some of the other travel opportunities that I've had and just kind of figuring that all out. I need to have a good system. And as you said, you know, being a teacher as well, I don't have time to pay attention to all the details that I need to. Mm hmm. In addition to that, I also want to um, increase some workshops that I have. So, you know, I I mentioned the uh, Ireland workshop that we're working on, but also locally doing some workshops uh, just kind of in the Indianapolis area. So those are my main goals that I I have set for myself. And hopefully a year from now, we'll check in and, and see how I've done with that.
1: Yeah, that's, you know, best of luck to you and best wishes and all that, because these Kinds of things, you know, they're they're important to us, and it's it's more than, I don't know. I guess to me, I look at it and say, even if I wasn't being paid to do this, I would try and find a way to do it anyway, uh, because it's just kind of something that speaks to my core, and it, it's it's that's what it's like for me anyway. So, hoping to um, hoping to be able to share that more broadly and and get that idea out there more broadly, and that's hope it works for both of us.
0: Yes, definitely. So my dream destination would be Jerusalem. I've wanted to go to the Holy Land just uh, based off of my faith and my years of of studying that area. And I just think to go and to visit that area uh, just would be amazing. I know a lot of it doesn't exist in the same way that I've studied throughout my life, but still just to go there and to have that history. Because when I travel, I love to travel to places where there's a lot of history or find out the history of the places that I'm going to go to. So Jerusalem would be my dream destination. What about for you?
1: Oh, I I should just scratch what I have and join you with that because Jerusalem is high on my list as well. It's uh, at my school, we have people that every other year they go on a a Holy land uh, study tour. And whenever I talk to my students that go there, I'm just all like, Oh, It'd be so awesome to go. They do extend it beyond just Jerusalem. They go all their other places as well. But yes, Jerusalem would just be awesome. I actually already have like four uh, books to help me plan a trip there. Uh, just haven't found the time yet to do it. So it's coming though. I definitely wish to, to get out there as well. My dream destination this time though is the Oregon coast. Specifically, I'm looking maybe around Bandon, Oregon, if I were to list a city. Uh, But really anywhere along the Oregon coast is just absolutely fantastic. Um, I've got a project I started there this last summer that I'm looking to complete up. And uh, basically it's a series of YouTube videos I'm working on. So I'm hoping to get out there this winter so I can also uh, have basically the two different um, approaches, a, a summertime and a wintertime out there. So the Oregon coast in the winter, you might think, oh, it's cold and everything. And I'm yes, it is. But the storms that come in and the just the constant changing of the tide and all that, beautiful, beautiful place to shoot. So um, uh, that's my dream destination this time around. Awesome. Well,
0: thank you, listeners, for joining us. I know this episode was a little bit longer than normal, but I think it was a, a great one. I always enjoy having the opportunity to hear about other trips that people take to other countries, especially if it's one that I have not yet been to, such as Mexico. So that was great. Thank you, Peter, for joining us. And Brent, thanks for uh, uh, being on here again with us. And yeah. it was nice to be together again. So It's
1: it's always good to get on here with you, Brian. And uh, definitely, everyone, thank you so much for your for your download and for your listening. And we will see you again in about another month with the next episode. So long for now.